Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, the long-distance edition once again because of the pandemic. Ron, good to talk to you. I want to. I want us to do a show today that is very near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure it was to yours at one time as well. You have children, I have children, and I've got you know a couple of sons that, that are working, and they're thinking, gee, I got a little bit of extra money here. I should start investing, but I'm a newbie, so we're going to focus on the newbie investor. And we're going to take a look. We've got a, really a two-part series. Number one, we're going to talk about how to get started if you've never invested in the market before. And then we're going to give you a model portfolio today. And then on our next show, we're going to focus on the biggest mistakes beginning investors make. And it's important for you to listen to both these shows, one right after the other, because typically what happens is a young person gets a hot tip, they go, they borrow money, they rush out and buy shares. The shares are based on smoke and mirrors. The price evaporates, they believe, to the very end when the shares go to nothing. They end up with a bitter experience in their mouth. And they, a debt to pay. Yeah, debt to pay, and they go, I'm not going to do this again, learn my lesson. And unfortunately, by doing it wrong to start, number one, they evaporate all their capital, and two, mentally, it just takes them a long while to get back into the, the mental space where they can invest because they blew their brains out. So we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. We want you to start taking baby steps, but we want you to start taking the right baby steps. Okay, so how do we get started? We have a list here. Yeah, well, the first thing you want to do is you want early success. So you don't want to start like many of the traders are doing on Robin Hood and some of these other discount sites that really appeal to young people, where you're going out and you're taking huge risks on things. If it blows up, believe me, it could be decades before you come back to the markets. So you want early success. You want to buy high-quality stuff that has a high probability of going up. So early in the game, play to win. Okay, number two, save being aggressive until you're more experienced. Being aggressive, especially when you know absolutely nothing about investing, is going to get you hurt. You will end up seeing all your money get evaporated. So you want to start taking courses. You want to be in and out of the market. You want to learn about what makes the market tick. You want to learn how different investments move during different economic cycles. There's a lot of things to learn. So take your time. Buy the things that have a high probability of success even though your rates of return are lower but steady, and save the aggressive stuff until you've got a lot more experience. I say generally save the aggressive stuff until you've had at least one or two business cycles in the market, and that's usually eight to ten years. Okay, this is the one that uh, is near and dear to my heart, and I learned this when I was an early investor. I had somebody who gave me some advice many, many years ago. Buy businesses that you understand. You know, over the years of doing talk radio, the one thing that's really stuck in my mind is all the calls I've gotten over that span of time of people that bought investments that they really did not understand how they worked. They didn't understand all the things that could go wrong and all the things that could go right. So when things started to go wrong, they didn't recognize it. So, for example, if you're a doctor, well, pharmaceutical stocks and mechanical devices that medics use, those are a good place for you to start because you understand that industry. 
if you're a farmer, well, maybe some of the ag products, some of the companies like John Deere or whatever, there'll be a point in the cycle where you understand that business and those machinery better than anyone else does. If you're an engineer, you understand engineering companies, and the list goes on and on. Everybody has things that they're expert at. If you're a chef, you probably understand the restaurant industry better than most. So start with the things that you really got a handle on because you'll have the information and knowledge edge over a lot of other people, including sometimes the analysts, where if you're in the industry, many times you're going to understand if there's an issue long before even some of the analysts get the picture. So stay with things that you know. Okay, number four is build positions and add to them on pullbacks. We've talked a lot about that on this show. Yes, and frankly, all you have to do is there's at least half a dozen shows where we talk about this, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But, for example, one of our picks, let's say you take a bank. Well, over the years, banks in Canada have been one of the best long-term investments. So you buy a bank when there's a pullback, and then you go on the dividend reinvestment plan so your money gets recycled back into more shares quarterly. And then anywhere in a four- to eight-year cycle, you're going to get a couple of major pullbacks in the financial sector. Well, when that happens, that's when, if you've got some extra cash, you want to add to your position in banking stocks. So if you have, for example, we're going to talk about uh, how many stocks you need to have about a, a diversified portfolio, but typically you're going to have stocks in different sectors and that move at different cycles at different times in the market. So you have some things that are high. You'll have some things that have pulled back. Well, when you've got cash, you just keep picking away at those things that in the part of the cycle that you are when you have some cash that have pulled back and slowly add to them over time. And that's a way to build a great portfolio without a lot of trading stress. Okay, might have to explain this one a little bit. Number five is buy companies with steady earnings. That makes sense. And high barriers to entry. What does that mean exactly? A high barrier to entry is just simply a monopoly. So uh, let's take an example of uh, two monopolies. Uh, One would be soft drinks. Well, you know, there's some marginal players in the business, but Pepsi and Coke... They're the big ones. They're the two major players in that space. If you look at parcel delivery, well, you've got... FedEx. FedEx and... uh, UPS. UPS, and you, you, you've got a little bit right now from Amazon and uh, the, the Postal Service, but the, the two big ones are obviously FedEx and UPS. So if you buy companies where there's, there's two monopolies, it's very hard to crack in. Like if you're a, a company that's trying to all of a sudden sell soft, soft drinks, well, trying to get shelf space is nearly impossible Because the big guys will often pay for their shelf space. And as a little guy, you have a really hard time breaking in. So high barriers to entry makes it very difficult to compete. And if you've got a company that has a high barrier to entry and doesn't have a lot of competition, they can hold their prices up, which means higher profits. We've talked about that. You mentioned the soft drinks. You know, the big guys are on the shelves at eye level. (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. marginal players are down somewhere where you can't see them, right? Yeah, you got to get down on all fours or lay on your back and reach <laughs> into the bottom shelf as far as you can to see if you can find something. Okay, now you're making point number six here, the four main sectors. Let's talk about those. 
Well, one is financials, and that generally will include banks. It'll include insurance companies. It'll include an investment firms of one type or another. Then you have consumer stocks, and consumer stocks could be anything from um, from uh, restaurants to companies that make different types of, of food products. Those are the uh, consumer stocks. Then you have manufacturing and industrial. And in that sector, you'll have technology because they manufacture software, they manufacture hardware, and in there you'll have railroads, in there you'll have utility stocks, and then you'll have resources, and that mines, oil and gas. Of the four, I would generally recommend overweighting financials, consumers, and manufacturing and industrial. So, you know, well, resources put, are a little sketchy right now, right? They, resources they, are a tough place to play, and unless you're a trader or unless you're in the industry, uh, they can have very, very big moves, and often they're the ones that, in a in a down cycle, there tends to be more bankruptcies generally in that sector than in other words, others. So they're riskier. So you know, if you went uh, thirty, 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 and then maybe ten for resources, you do fine. So put your big money and spread it out across those three sectors with most of your money, and that's where you want to be in that nice, big, safe zone. So you were uh, uh, an investment advisor for, well, almost 40, four decades, and the number seven is one that I'm sure you can attest to, Ron. Focus on growth as time is on your side, right? Yeah, when you're in your 20s and you're in your 30s, you're going to have 40, maybe even 50 years before you touch your money. So that's why stocks are a good idea when you're younger because later on when you get close to retirement and you don't want to risk your capital putting more money in fixed income makes sense but when you're young good quality companies that have a history of growing year in and year out over a four decade period i mean you can see your initial investment grow 10 to 20 times in value just from slow steady compounding so take your time Invest early, buy quality, and let it grow. Eight stocks is enough for diversification. You don't have to get crazy here, right? No, especially if you're, you're a newbie. Eight stocks, if you're going to watch them, is a lot to cover. And I know when I was in the business, we had a rule that we generally, our portfolios, even for accounts that had $100 million plus, we didn't have any more than 40 positions. And don't forget... Uh, I had a research staff, and I was doing this full-time. And even then, to read all the quarterly reports and to keep up with what uh, the company is doing is just a lot of work. So you want to keep that portfolio down, and eight stocks is enough to give you plenty of diversification. You don't need more. Okay, subscribe to a newsletter like Investment Reporter or IQ Trends. Get some professional advice at your disposal, right? That's exactly what we're saying, Gord. And you might find you have an advisor who does put your interests first. But so many times in the investment industry, you find that the commissions drive the recommendations. And so if you're getting a newsletter, which is third-party advice, investment reporter, which covers the Canadian and U.S. scene, uh, IQ Trends, which covers the U.S. scene, a little bit of Canada, Frankly, if they make lousy recommendations year after year after year, people quit subscribing to their newsletters. And so they will eventually go bankrupt. Now, Investment Reporter in Canada and IQ Trends in the U.S. are, are frankly, two of the better services. 
that over 20 and 30 years are in the top couple of percent, you can get these newsletters for around $300 a year. So that's cheap advice, especially if you've put $10,000 into something and you've watched it vaporize. So these two newsletters will give you consistent third-party, non-biased advice, and it's a good place to go just to get information where someone is not trying to sell you something. Okay, number 10 on the list for newbie investors, have at least 25% of your holdings outside of Canada. Canada has been one of the lower growth countries among the big Western eyes democracies. And so Canada has a few things that we're good at. Obviously, we're good at financials. We're good at utilities. We're good at oil and gas. We're good at mining. But there's so many things that, frankly, we're not that terribly good at. Technology, we've got one or two players right now. You know, you can look at uh, CGI Group or you can look at Shopify. But the landscape is really thin. Healthcare, another area where the landscape is really, really thin. Not a lot of manufacturing here anymore either, right? Not a lot of manufacturing and certainly very little in the way of consumer products as well. So if you want exposure to these... The place that has the big guys that have global reach and have done very, very well are either the United States, which is the easiest for most uh, Canadians to play because it's just south of the border, and it's very easy to buy U.S. stocks if you have a, an account set up. And the second is obviously take a look at some of the European stocks. I mean, big names like, like Nestle's, uh, Royal Dutch Shell. Uh, these are uh, Airbus. Uh, these are companies that, frankly, are are huge and have had uh, pretty substantial growth over time. So, you know, there's a lot of good European names as well, but these are companies that have global reach in sectors you just can't get in Canada. Okay, so let's move on and let's let's build a, mo a model portfolio quickly here. We talked about these different sectors, so fire away. I know the first one out of the chute is going to be the Royal Bank, right? Yeah, the first one out of the chute is the Royal Bank. And this is just a model portfolio. This is just an example of, if you're a newbie, what a portfolio could look like that gives you broad diversification, some good dividends, and is a good cross-section of the, the global economy in conservative-type investments. So this is just a springboard. You can go off on your own, and if you want to diversify, that's what this is for. You know, but this is an example of a portfolio that would be a, a good starter portfolio. First choice would be Royal Bank, and that has a yield right now 4.6%. And Royal Bank, if you take a look at bank rankings globally, is ranked last year as the safest bank in the world to have your money in. Now, you think of how many thousands of banks there are. Oh, exactly. So your, your money is in a very, very safe financial institution. In the U.S., you hear of inst financial institutions going belly up all the time. In Canada, you virtually never hear of financial institutions going under. Number one, we have better management that understands risk. And number two, the regulations in Canada are far superior to those in the U.S. So Royal Bank not only has a great franchise in Canada, but you get exposure to U.S. banking anyways because they're a big player in 
especially along the east coast of the United States. Anybody watches golf, you see RBC sponsors a couple of tournaments on the PGA Tour. You see a lot of players wearing that RBC logo on their shirt. They've got they're widespread. They're they're a big player, and uh, with that yield, you can dividend reinvest it, and you're going to get four uh, percent more stock every year, which is a pretty good thing. Okay, a Canadian telco company. Uh, lots to choose from. That well, not lots, but several. Yeah, there's there's really three big ones, and uh, that would be Rogers, Bell, and Telus. And you know, Shaw is late to the game, and they're trying to catch up. But the three big players right now are Rogers. Bell and tell us and, and tell us and and I just pick Rogers because it looks like they have a little better growth rate than the others two other two do, but uh, there again you know Bell for example BCE well it has a higher dividend but Rogers RCA dot B um, it has a yield of three point seven percent and here's one that has dividend reinvestment plan you can buy a little bit out of it and every time it gets a little cheaper you can add more. Okay, Canadian insurance companies, also pretty solid area. Yeah, Canadian insurance companies have, in the last few years, expanded beyond Canada. And certainly Manulife and Sun Life have large portfolios of Asian insurance now that they manage. And so, especially in Canada, where you see a lot of the market is saturated with insurance, but in Asia, people have just gotten to the point in the last generation where their incomes are high enough, and because they don't have the safety nets that they do in Canada, for example, with health care and so on, insurance is a big deal for these guys, and as soon as they can afford a roof over their head and putting their kids in, in a decent schools, the next thing they do is they often buy insurance. So Sun Life, I think, has and Manulife, because of their Asian exposure, I think have good long-term growth ahead of them. And uh, Sun Life as well pays you a yield of 4.3%, so you're getting paid while you wait. A Canadian utility, this is one that I've told my sons about, you know, hey, everybody turns the lights on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Fortis, frankly, is the company in Canada that has had the longest continuous string of dividend increases every year. So, that string is well over 40 years right now. I think it's 46 or 47. I haven't looked it up recently. But this company in Canada is the king as far as being able to regularly increase its dividends. So you're not only getting share price growth and a decent yield of 3.6%, but generally like clockwork over the last four decades, that dividend goes up every year. So if they're able to continue to do that, that will give you some protection against inflation. Okay, a Canadian real estate company. Tricon is TCN, and what I like about them is they don't own apartments. They own houses. Uh -huh. they, they own houses across the Sun Belt, stretching all the way from Florida to Arizona, and they buy houses, and I think their average cost on their house is around 130 grand. They fix them up, and then they put, install renters in them which especially now where you're starting to have millennials getting out of cities, thinking about having a family, uh, I think the demand for single-family dwellings is going to grow. And, of course, not everybody wants to or can buy a home. So Tricon is a good substitute. Symbols TCN, it's got a yield of 3%. 
One Canadian consumer stock. Well, I, 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 I figured you might go to Canadian Tire on this one, but you didn't. Yeah, that, that was actually, those were my two choices. Uh, one was Canadian Tire, and since this is an example, and uh, I thought I'd pick Restaurant Brands International, which, which owns uh, Burger King, uh, Popeyes, and also owns a Canadian institution, Tim Hortons. Uh-huh. So QSR is currently listed both in Canada and the United States, called Restaurant Brands International. They have a yield of 3.8% right now. And obviously the stock's been hurt because the flow of, of patrons to the restaurants has slowed down. But, you know, I drove by a couple of Tim Hortons yesterday. And there was a lineup, right? And there was a lineup all the way around the corner, and people, most people weren't eating inside. Most people were eating outside. They were eating along the, the you know, most Tim Hortons, they have tables outside, and those tables were all packed. So yeah. I, I, I think there's a, there's a comeback in the making for these guys. Okay, one that we've talked about a lot, too, is U.S. health care. And here again... If on an eight stock portfolio, if you want to have twenty five percent of it international, that boils down to two stocks. And so two of the areas it's hard to buy in Canada, one is healthcare. And Johnson and Johnson is a company that has increased its dividend every year for over fifty years. And everybody knows the name. Yes. And they have a wide variety of, of different products. They're into pharmaceuticals and drugs they're into healthcare stuff johnson's baby oil so consumer products they have in there uh they make hip joints they make heart valves they make all kinds of things so johnson and johnson is almost like buying a healthcare mutual fund symbols j and j uh, trades on new york and it's got a yield of 2.8 percent and if you figure that someone who's retired their healthcare costs are 11 times per year what the health care costs are of someone who is a teenager. And as the population gets older, health care is going to continue to grow. So this is a sector that you really want over the long term to have some exposure to. And finally, a U.S. technology. Lots to choose from there. Yeah, the reason I chose uh, Alphabet or Google, and Alphabet is now the parent company, it doesn't have a dividend, but simply... They monopolize their space. I think 90% of all searches, or maybe even more, are done using Google. And certainly they have a lot of other platforms, too, which will end up making the money, have lots of room to grow. I mean, take YouTube, for example, which is enormous, very profitable for them. And people don't realize that they have dozens of billion-dollar platforms. Even their, the AI that they're using for self-driving cars they say if they spun that division off, it would be worth $50 billion all by itself. So Alphabet or Google is just sort of a conglomeration of lots of different things. They're a behemoth, really. Yeah, behemoth, and that I see having good growth over the longer term, and they're able to attract some very, very smart talent. I mean, you look at Google Maps, and the list goes on and on of all the different services that uh, they're able to offer. And because they collect data and they're able to advertise on all these platforms. Uh, it's a very, very effective way to grow. So there you go. Eight stocks, one quarter of which are U.S.-based. They're across the spectrum, what we talked about, for newbie investors. So listen carefully, take heed, make your plan. And uh, what's, what's the old saying? Uh, 
plan your work and work your plan? Exactly. And yeah. this has a nice yield of uh, 3.2%. So build a portfolio that has a, a smaller number of diversified stocks in it in sectors that are spread across the economy. Buy stuff you know. Buy them when they pull back. And over time, you're going to have a portfolio that's the envy of all your friends. So there you go. Advice from the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm a retired broadcaster, as if I know anything, <laughs> Gordon Whitehead. We're back next week. Now, this is the second part of this show, and this is one you want to listen to because there are a lot of mistakes you could make as a new-time investor, right? There's a lot of things that could really go wrong and so, usually do go wrong. We'll show you where the landmines are. We'll, we'll show you where the landmines are, exactly. Okay, join us again next time on Making Money. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.